Hey, welcome to episode two of the Ross Trevino Project. Today's guest is an extremely brave individual who has spent much of her career taking on the seemingly impossible task of helping people leave Islam, as unfortunately for many ex-Muslims around the world, apostasy is a death sentence. At the time of recording this episode, my guest worked for the charity The Council of Ex-Muslims of Britain, the name of which I get wrong during the episode as you're about to hear but she has since moved on to focus on her work with the domestic abuse organisation she founded, Gloucestershire Sisters. Some of the topics we cover in this episode are fairly difficult to hear, so strap yourselves in. I give you the wonderful Sadia Hamid. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks for having me. <laughs> That's all right. Um, okay, so you work for, uh, this is Sadia Hamid I'm talking to, who's an old mm. friend. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, so you work for a charity called Ex-Muslims of Great Britain. Is that correct name? So it's called the Council of Ex-Muslims of Britain. Oh, is that, um, is that changed or did I just have it wrong all along? No, you had it wrong all along. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Where are you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I read most things wrong, I think, so that's the problem. Okay, yeah, explain what the charity does then. So we're, um, we're a support service for people that have left Islam specifically, though if people are sort of on the edge, if they're believing Muslims and they're kind of like searching and curious about uh, about Islam, uh, then they can also come to us. Those numbers are much, much smaller. So we support people from around the world. Uh, we have a caseload of 600 people a month that we support in various capacities um, and uh, half of our caseload is UK based and half of it is international. Oh, okay. Um, so internationally, the reason we exist is because um, in uh, over a dozen countries around the world, if you leave Islam, you can be sentenced to death. So there's about 50 countries that have a blasphemy law, um, but the there's a, a dozen countries that have a death sentence for blasphemy, and they're all Islamic countries. So that's part of the reason we exist. Uh, and our support can range from like basic information providing all the way to like um, supporting them through court cases um, uh, and like uh, you know asylum support, etc. Oh, that's really interesting. You said 600. Is that 600 you take on at a, t- a time, or is that a 600 new batch every month? So it it kind of fluctuates uh, between like consistent cases and newcomers, but roughly uh, month by month we're dealing with six hundred cases every month. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's so many. Um, what uh, is there any country in particular out of the ones outside of the UK that uh, that you get most from? So a lot of our cases come from Pakistan, Iran, Bangladesh, Afghanistan. Uh, um, uh, did I say Iran already? I think I did. Um, Saudi, actually, for the first time ever in the last 12 to 18 months, we're getting physical 
cases coming out of, of Saudi. So for the men, it's always easy, uh, as it always is. If you're a man, you can travel a lot easier. You can get travel documents. You can get access to funds for women. Is it much in, easier to leave the country if you're a guy? Yeah, it is. Okay. It's, for women, um, if... If you, uh, you're not allowed to have your own job, for instance, they have a male guardianship system. Women are allowed to leave the house alone, let alone the country. Um, so last year I uh, went and collected a woman from the airport um, who had managed to get herself out of the country and she, you know, she had to really build this plan and she'd been building the plan for about seven years and she said, by the end of this year, had I not managed to successfully get out, my plan was just to kill myself oh, because I couldn't carry on living the way I was living. So um, every time your passport is scanned in, um, in Saudi, a text message is sent to your registered male guardian. What? Uh, yeah, That's yeah. And also the same with your bank card. So we had to go to huge lengths to hide her. Every time she used her bank card, a text message was sent to her male guardian of her precise location. Um, so obviously... Was it, well, she found... This was when she got to the UK as well? Yes, yeah, wow. yes. Oh uh, um, she, every time she used a bank card, and it took within within a few days, they had blocked her bank account as well, so she had no money. Um, uh, so every time they managed to locate her, they were hunting her like dogs, and that's what they do because the control is so, you know, um, they, they control every single part of your life. I mean, it's nothing like we would ever understand in this country. Um, so the only other country that I know of, and it might just be that I'm ignorant of the other countries um, that has a male guardianship system written into its penal code is Brunei. Oh, um, I don't think I know Brunei actually. Um, whereabouts is that? Uh, now you're asking. <laughs> I couldn't point to it on a map. <laughs> if it was in front of me, I could. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's another Islamic country. Um, is they it also... Middle East or Africa, or don't, are you not sure? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel so bad about not knowing it, though. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope that it's an Islamic country. Russ, why are you asking me hard questions? <laughs> this is a geography interview, didn't you know? <laughs> <laughs> you should have told me that before I came on. Need <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, okay. So, yeah, like, um, Brunei has the same laws. And actually, Brunei was in the press recently um, because it's another very, very oil-rich and resource-rich um, country. Um, and they, uh, they had proposed imposing uh, um, the stoning of homosexuals and adulterers and fornicators, etc. Thankfully, there were protests around it until they um what they did was uh, in, uh introduce a they said they're going to put a moratorium on oh, the new so what all that is is shelving it a lot of people don't actually realize that a lot of people thought brilliant they're no longer going to stone uh, homosexuals and adulterers and fornicators so we can just you know stop protesting and all they've done is uh, put shelved it so that when things cool cool off they can secretly do it again and that happens a lot um, but the other thing that people don't realize is that Brunei um, 
they already have the death penalty for all all of those, you know, for homosexuals, for uh, adulterers and fornicators. It's just that they were going to add the additional Sharia-compliant punishment of stoning them to death rather than, you know, using other methods. Um, the, the other thing that people don't always realise... Uh, there's a slight frustration, actually, that when we talk about countries like Saudi and Brunei, people will say that it's got nothing to do with Islam, that these are extreme examples. And the only reason they, they can say that is because within their penal code, they've written the most extreme punishments into their penal codes. Other countries, other Islamic countries, don't necessarily write them into their penal code, but they have the same practices. Now, Russ, we've known each other for quite a long time. Mm. Um, and I think, I th I'm pretty sure we talked about when I was stuck in Pakistan when I was 15. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you might have to remind me of the details. But yeah, I do remember having that conversation quite a while ago. Yeah, so we talked about how I was stuck in Pakistan because I'd had a white boyfriend and my parents had gone and just dumped me out there. Um, uh, what age was this again? So I was 15 years old. Oh, 15, okay. They brought my passport back home. Now, I couldn't go to the corner shop without somebody with me, without having being fully covered. Now, Pakistan doesn't have, in its penal code, a, um, a male guardianship law. They haven't written that into the penal code, but they still have the practice. Now, what people don't realise is that a lot of our... A lot of our other countries, a lot of our other Islamic countries, they still have, um, they still have um, the same Sharia laws, mm. but they don't, they they haven't necessarily writ written them into their penal code. So if I was to leave the house, um, anything depending on my family's uh, my family's way of thinking, anything from, um, you know keeping me imprisoned, which they were doing anyway, all the way till beating me and killing me could have happened. Um, and that's a reality for women in our countries. You know, uh, Pakistan, there was a, a group of women who, uh, and there's a video about it on YouTube, which I'll send you the link to, that they, um, they were clapping and singing whilst there were men dancing in the room with them. And the women were murdered just for clapping and singing whilst men were dancing. Now, dance is considered provocative in, um, and sexual and seductive in our countries and in our communities. However, um, they weren't even dancing. They were just singing and clapping and sitting there. They had their hair covered. Um, some of them had even pulled their um, headscarf lower than, you know, uh, just their forehead. So quite a lot of their face was covered. Um, but even that, was uh, uh, you know not tolerated just for enjoying uh, themselves. Basically, yes. Um, essentially, it's all about absolute control and domination of women, and that makes the men feel more manly. You know, when women in our societies um, they they choose to live how they wish to live, the men are accused of no longer having control on their women, and then they feel that their honour has been attacked so then they they punish the women to re-establish to everybody around them that look i have control over my women so you should shut your face that's insane yeah. it's nothing 
What's that? Like what we're used to here, you know, in in the UK, when you talk about this kind of stuff, people think that it's far-fetched. What the frustration I have is different generations, actually, depending on what generation of person you're talking to, the older generations always understood it. So I did a, a, a talk to a WI group yesterday. Uh, what's WI? Uh, so WI uh, is the Women's Institute. Okay. Um, usually the women are, are a little bit older. Um but I talk about this stuff and they just get it and they just go, you know, in the Victorian era, we would have behaved similarly. It's unacceptable. It's 2019, you know, come the fuck into 2019 now. And they're that black and white about it. Whereas when I talk to younger generations, they want to like they want to dance around um, religion and culture and have those kinds of discussions, which actually is very offensive to me because that's saying to me that you think that me uh, being controlled and dominated and beaten and abused is my culture yeah that's crazy Uh, I I was quickly watching some of your videos before you came on and one of them was to do with uh, I don't know if you said their name or not but um, you were having like a kerfuffle with some lady who was from some kind of LGBT group. Do you know who I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. So again, there's this frustration that we have. So the LGBT community in the Muslim community is um, treated appallingly. You know, uh, this woman that I did have this kerfuffle with, she's from an organization called um, Schools, which uh, stands for Supporting Equality and Diversity Education, Supporting the Education of Equality and Diversity in Schools. And she was saying, um, so I asked her about, um, she was talking about this equalities charter that they want to create where everybody will be included, schools, um, social workers, MPs, uh, counsellors, everybody would be asked to sign up to this, which is a fantastic thing, really, like, provided you're asking for equality for everybody. Now, one of our straplines, which I created, actually, for the Council of Ex-Muslims of Britain, was that we should ask for equality for everybody and not priority because the moment you start asking for a priority for your group, then other groups are going to go, hang on a minute, well, what about us? Um, and actually, um, we also realise very, you know, we're very aware of the fact that the Muslim community are very hostile to LGBT uh, members within their own community. So they don't necessarily have to have left Islam for us to stand in solidarity with them. And that's exactly what we did. There was an event held in Birmingham in solidarity with the LGBT community of Birmingham because they're really being targeted right now by um, the worst kind of homophobic people within the Muslim community and actually uh, prosecutors, the police, you know, uh, counsellors, politicians haven't been active enough on this. There's only one politician that spoke out, Jess Phillips, and she's been on the right side of it. And I think, um, is it Angela Eagle? Is that somebody that made up? I don't recognise the name. I recognise the name Jess Phillips. Did she, was she the one who got fired from the Labour Party? Was that someone else? She didn't, no, that wasn't her. No, she's still there, but they're trying. The actual protesters around this LGBT issue were trying to get her fired. Okay, Uh, Uh, this is someone else I was thinking of ages ago. 
Not Sarah Champion. What's that? Sorry. Not Sarah Champion. What What did she say? She was the one that said around the um, grooming gangs that we have to be that honest about. Yeah. Okay. I was getting the names confused. Yeah. yeah. So we'll talk, we will talk about that actually because yeah. that's another part of this debate. Mm. But um, so these protesters are saying that we don't want to tolerate. Um, we don't want to tolerate. Um, LGBT education for our children. We want them to grow up intolerant, uh, intolerant, and you are intolerant for not tolerating our intolerance. <laughs> That's crazy. I had a question about that. Uh, how old were the kids that they were trying to uh, do the uh, education towards? So they're primary school age. Okay. And um, uh, the actual, the, ed- the 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 content of the books is very very age appropriate. You know, it they're is. not. Oh, showing- okay. It's not like yeah. No, they wouldn't show the mechanics of sex, you know, because that everybody would find that inappropriate. But what they say, are, yeah. Saying... Uh, and yeah, obviously, like it, even like once you get to like older primary school, it might even be okay. But younger primary school, not. But uh, if it's yeah. like if it's yeah. nothing to do with sex, anyway, then no, it's, it's nothing to do with sex. And actually, um, the, the books are very basic. They ask kids if it, you know they they inform kids that some families have two mums, some have two dads, and some have mum and dad and there's no difference between them and it's okay to love whoever you want to love that's co- completely acceptable and that's really timely that's very actually that. very basic so i asked um so bearing in mind i went along and my you know uh, a group of people from my organization went along to absolutely support this because we would and my support hasn't changed because of one douchebag <laughs> but i asked this um woman on the panel if um this equalities charter would include ex-muslims now bear this in mind there was a solidarity event for the lgbt community including the muslim lgbt community um against these protesters and there was a room full of people i have never once seen um, a Muslim LGBT person turn up just in solidarity with us to st- show support for us. Now we are ex-Muslims. It's is it's not uncommon for people to out and out call for us to be murdered, mm. for us to be uh, removed from our families, for us to be harmed, for us to be tortured, and all of that is a reality. I mean, I work with people who are being. Uh, threatened with murder who have been murdered i work with people who end up committing suicide because it's too much i work with people who are homeless because their families have just kicked them out of their house because their religion was more important than than their children to them like love in our communities in in this sphere is conditional now there's a very 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 small number of parents that uh, accept their children because of their apostasy. So apostasy is a posh word for leaving religion. Um, uh, is that, you saying in the UK or that's a global? Globally, um, globally. Like so in, internationally, um, if the parents want to, and sometimes they do, if they find out that their child has, uh, has left religion, they themselves can sometimes hand them across to the authorities. There's lynch mobs that people, where people have, come out and hunted and killed people because they thought they were blaspheming or they thought they were apostates in this where, country, where is that or that's just happened in a bunch of different places that's happened so many times but there's so many names of people as well um so uh 
that's happening internationally, where you have apostasy and blasphemy laws that prohibit you from criticizing or even questioning religion or leaving religion, the likelihood is that family are going to be intolerant of that too. Um, but there's also a class dimension to this, because in, Pakis in Pakistan, if you're an atheist and you're from the elite, nobody touches you. Really? If you're... Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the most famous atheists from Pakistan, he's also a socialist. Um, his name's uh, Tariq Ali. Um, I love him. He's become quite, um, he's become a bit more aggressive as he's got older, which I feel very, very saddened about, actually, because I've read so many of his books and I love him. Okay. Um, but he's from a very, very wealthy, privileged background, hence it was easy for him. You know, his parents thought, okay, there's a little bit of risk. We will just get you out of the country. And he was sent to Oxford to study. Um, but he never faced lynch mobs. He never faced that kind of backlash. But now people do. Today, we have um, um, somebody that we worked with before. He's actually still in prison right now. He was arrested uh, May 2017. His name's Ayaz Nizami. Um, who was arrested and thrown into prison. Um, what was his backstory? So he was charged with blasphemy. In Pakistan? <clears throat> yeah, so he on social media he was questioning religion. He was a free thinker. And uh, the police tracked him down and threw him into prison. And in Pakistan, they treat you like you're a terrorist. If you're accused of blasphemy, you're treated like a terrorist. So usually you would be permitted to see your lawyer. Sometimes they don't even let him see his lawyer. So they don't even, um, you know, there's not proper process in Pakistan and in many of our countries. So I asked this woman if she was going to um, include atheists and ex-Muslims on uh, in this charter, to which her response was really quite toxic. She said that she, you know, the problem with ex-Muslims is that they're a divisive figure and I was just like Do you know what y you trying to appease your perpetrators doesn't mean that they're gonna they're gonna like you you behaving like your perpetrators do with you with us doesn't mean they're all of a sudden gonna go oh okay fantastic look at this lesbian woman she gets it about the ex-muslim issue we're gonna accept her for being a homosexual that ain't gonna happen love now was she uh, uh was this was she a Muslim or she wasn't and she just didn't know anything about Islam or what was going on? So we experienced both sides, actually. Uh, she was a lesbian Muslim. Oh, she was a Muslim, okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, we get quite a lot of backlash from LGBT Muslims when we're absolutely standing in solidarity with them because we know that, that we're both getting the same amount of shit. But the point is that if you hold an, L, uh, an LGBT, Muslim LGBT solidarity event, you have more ex-Muslims turn up there than you will if we had held a solidarity event. Most of the time, the LGBT Muslim community will attack us. And uh, my uh, uh, the woman that started the Council of Ex-Muslims of Britain, Mariam Namazi, she will um, tell you she's been silently supporting this community for years and enduring constant backlash from them. They always, you know, attack her. And she'll just say, do you know what? They're getting so much shit, I'm not going to say anything back. I'm not so tolerant. <laughs> um, 
I'm not used, you know, I'm not willing to be somebody's punch bag. And the thing is, what this made me think of is, you know, what the kids that get bullied at school? Yeah. Um, that end up going and bullying somebody else because they're being bullied. Well, it just, it's not good enough. It's not a good enough excuse. Um, so I challenged her on that, to which uh, I got a little bit of backlash for that as well. I had, um, you know, her friends then approach me and say that it was inappropriate of me to release a video like that. And I said, well, you know, my phone didn't work the night before. Um, otherwise, it, the, my language was a lot more colourful. <laughs> <laughs> I'd had 24 hours to calm exactly, down yeah, before cool I threw her a new arsehole. Cool. Uh, so what I saw was the was the calm down edit after a few hours. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and actually, what they didn't like was the fact that I was calling her a bigger, which she is. Yeah. Uh, because she was using exactly the same language about us as the protesters outside Birmingham schools that are opposing LGBT uh, lessons. Yeah are using about her. They know nothing about her. They knew nothing about the lessons that were being taught either. And they just spouted lies and they've been very manipulative and she did exactly the same thing. And the first time she did it on the panel, so she kind of launched at me on the panel when when somebody in the crowd stood up and said, this is exactly the problem. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is exactly the problem. She is this massive problem <laughs> because we come out in support of her and she still attacks us thinking that the, her perpetrators are going to support her and that's never going to change. Um, but also... So you think it's a uh, self-preservation uh, position she's taking? Well, obviously well, it's I, hard to... to I mean, like... I, I don't know what her position is, but I, I don't care as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the reason for her ignorance is. Like we have we have um, we have this in our families as well, you know, generation after generation after generation of abusive parents, and then the, the, the next generation of parents will say, you know, we were, we were treated worse by our parents, so we're going to do the same sort of thing to you and tone it down just a fraction. But the thing is, at that point, you're choosing to behave like that, and it's the same with this woman. She chose to behave like that. She chose to be very, very ignorant and quite divisive in her, in her, um, in her statement. So... I don't really tolerate that anymore. Um, I'm not willing for, uh, you know, ex-Muslims and apostates to be constantly thrown under the bus. Now, I actually don't like the term ex-Muslim myself, but it's really, really important politically. Now, I'm an atheist. You have the most... term atheist. I prefer the term atheist, and I also prefer the term anti-theist, because I hate religion. Um, <laughs> And I, you know, I love having those debates about about religion. I don't do it in my personal life. Like people believe whatever they want to believe. There's like this uh, funny meme um, about religion. Uh, religion is like a penis. Everybody knows you got one, but nobody wants to see it. So keep it yourself. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's that's exactly how I feel. And the thing is, for me, like I will never talk religion and proselytize to anybody about atheism unless they proselytize to me it's a tit-for-tat situation like I don't like I think it's just as disgusting uh you know preaching to somebody else if you don't like being preached at um so that's my kind of like stan stance on it um I prefer the term atheist because um 
So a lot of other terms, people try and use a lot of other terms like secularist and humanist. You can be a believing secularist and humanist. Um, you know, uh, people are viewing atheists as negative, which the, again, they're only supporting my perpetrators. So there's, like I said, a dozen countries where atheists are killed just for being atheists. Now, whilst that's all happening, um, it's really, really important to use the term atheist. The other reason the, the term ex-Muslim is important is because all the countries where those atheists are being murdered are Islamic countries. So hence the term ex-Muslim. I, I worry that sometimes it feeds into the whole identity pol politics sort of um, hysteria. Yeah. But there is a reason behind it. Okay. Oh. Yeah, so, um, uh, what was going to go? <laughs> There's a lot to think about there. Uh, so, you, uh, have you, um, let's talk about your history. Were you born in England or Pakistan? I was born in the UK. Yeah, I thought so. I, <laughs> but I got the name of the organisation wrong, so I didn't want to assume. <laughs> uh, cool. What was it like growing up? Uh, was it were, were you living in a mainly Pakistani area then, or was it a mixture of uh, English people as well, or what was that like? When I was, uh, I was born and raised in Oxford yeah. on Cali Road. Um, Cali Road. Yeah. yeah so Cali Road used to be quite diverse. Uh, there was a good mix of people where we were before. I think now it's become very, very brown. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Maybe that's yeah. certain parts then, because it's quite student-y as well in other parts, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So where I was is very brown now. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was quite mixed. And, like, I've noticed a shift in my community, the Oxford community that I grew up with. I mean, I don't interact with them at all anymore, um, partly because it's just not safe to. Um, but my gran, when I was a kid, she used to um, she used to go out with, like, sandwiches and cups of tea whenever there were roadworks in the road, and she'd hug, like, anybody, including white guys and stuff. Um, and that same woman is now very very insular you know she wouldn't touch a man let alone a white man uh she wouldn't interact with them um there's this kind of hostility that's grown within my community against anybody that's not from their community and there's there's been external influences in that as well saudi at one point spent 70 billion dollars islamicizing the world essentially um so muslim countries of course they pumped lots of money into them but also um islamic institutions mosques schools in the uk had saudi money pumped into them to the point where now what we're seeing is any Islamic uh, community is more Arabized than it was before. So as an example, when I was a kid um, in Oxford alone, uh, we had Sikhs, we had Hindus, we had Muslims. The Muslims uh, were from different backgrounds as well. Some of Pakistan, some were from India. And their clothing reflected that. You know, Pakistani clothing is um, a shalwar kameez uh, of different... Ver what, you know, what, different does it, what does that look like? 
So uh, a shalwar kameez is like a long tunic um, and like baggy trousers. Um, and it usually came with a scarf. Some women would just have it on their shoulders. They wouldn't ever cover their hair. Some women, if they wanted to cover their hair, would do, but it would be loosely on their head. And if it fell off, it didn't really matter. Um, and the same with India. You know, the Indian people in in um, Indian Muslims in Oxford would have their own fashion as well. It's slightly similar and slightly different. Like we could tell the difference um, between the two communities but we were still very close even though we had the differences between our communities we were actually very like not I mean not differences in the di like um as in we disagreed but like you know we were different in our mannerisms and certain tiny things but we we're still very very close now what we see is that the Muslim attire has become a very tight hijab um it's covering more and more of the neck, mind, um, and the 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 introduction of the long robe, the uh, jilbab, um, that that has become like the Islamic uniform, which has nothing to do with Pakistan, nothing to do with India, nothing to do with Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, all of the Islamic countries that you can think of. Um, our attire has now been Arabized and our behaviors and our language has been Arabized. When I was a kid, we would just say Quran. So the Quran, mm. in, uh, in, our, uh, in our language, we would just say Quran. Now, they, even our language has been Arabized. Now people say Quran. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, it, I mean, I can't even do it seriously. That's the problem. Like they, they pronounce everything as if they're Arab. And I'm like, but you're not Arab. Why are you talking like Arabs? Why Why is our heritage being erased as well? Um, so everywhere Saudi's influence is really, really showing. Um, and it feels quite, it feels quite, um, feels quite dangerous. And it also, it feels like, it feels like Arab imperialism. So we have a lot of woke people wanting to talk about imperialism and colonialism. All right. Well, let's talk about it about our communities because the Arabs are doing it right fucking now, and I don't see you challenging them. That slavery is still going on in Saudi and in in wealthy Islamic countries, Dubai, Qatar, Kuwait. I don't see you challenging those. You know, you'll talk about American slavery and uh, you know British colonialism. Talk about the Arabs right now, or is it not slavery or imperialism or colonialism when? when brown people do it, because that's you guys then being racist, your woke community is just being racist. Yeah, that does seem like a crazy thing that uh, so suddenly people can't um, criticise anyone uh, from different cultures, uh, except for their own, and very self-critical about the past. It's really weird. Yeah, and actually what this is leading to now, so... I found something out that disturbed me a great deal. Um, so there's there's something that's been happening over the years, and I actually said this uh, nearly well, over five years ago now. Um, so there was something that emerged uh, where people were talking about the the appropriation of culture, oh, and cultural then people, yeah, Ugh. and people started. <laughs> and shit like that so now when I cook my partner a dinner he's got to sit and have like fish and fucking chips and I've got to sit and eat curry or something <laughs> um, which is ridiculous right Mad, isn't it? 
Uh, but the natural escalation to that was the uh, opposition to mixed marriage. Uh, by that I mean mixed racial marriage. So I'm brown, my partner's white. Um, now, the, and I, I said this was going to happen and it's fucking happening, Russ. Um, so in the US, Black Lives Matter were coming across mixed race couples that after they had broken, broken up, they were claiming that these people were traumatized because the the people, the other person in the relationship from the other racial background didn't understand the ethnic and racial needs of that person, hence why... What does that even mean? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I tell you what, when a relationship break, breaks down, people are upset. A relationship breakdown is like somebody dying. Yeah. So it's, it's painful. To turn it into that is very offensive. But the, I said this was going to happen. Now, believe... You won't believe this, but the Ku Klux Klan, for the first time, came out in support of Black Lives Matter and said, we support what you're saying. You're exactly right. Mixed marriages are... are, are I think I did hear this, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Isn't it hilarious? <laughs> like, the left has gone so full circle that they're now exactly the same as the Ku fucking Klux Klan. Yeah, the left has gone That's... crazy, yeah. I totally agree. That's where Like, I don't associate with any left-wing group in this country anymore. I feel like they're hysterical idiots. And the thing is, like, for saying this, by the way, I can guarantee you pro we're probably going to get labelled fascists or something. Yeah. And the frustration... <laughs> 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 and the frustration that I have is that these young people have never experienced any uh, any difficulty in their life. Do you think that's where it's coming? I don't. I think so. Yeah. I think it's the fact that they've never experienced real racism. You know, they weren't ever pulled out of their house and packy bashed. That's what used to happen in this country. They used to, the, the skinheads used to knock on people's doors, pull them out of their house, beat the crap out of them. The police would either not turn up, turn up and minimise it, and turn up, or turn up and do nothing. That used to happen. Wow, what uh, what year was this? Uh, did you have any similar experiences from your childhood of stuff like that as well? So I personally, it didn't happen to me, it didn't happen to my dad, but it happened to my, to my grandparents' generation. Really, yeah, okay. so cousins and uh, you know my uh, my uncles and the, those lot that it was the newcomers that really really experienced stuff like that um so they've not experienced that kind of racism there, and there's two kinds of racism really there's a racism born out of innocent ignorance people don't know when they're scared to ask and those questions aren't going to cause you any harm in fact i think when people ask those questions when they don't know something it brings you closer you think well people actually are interested and they care it's not a microaggression as these little you know um these youngsters think it, it, it's ridiculous to think that um and it then, then there's then there's racism born out of actual ignorance. I know about this, but I don't care, and I don't want you know I don't want to know anything about you. But that is comparatively rare now. You know nobody um, nobody gets in my face and calls me a packy anymore. Like that that used to happen, right? Oh. That has changed a lot. That, that has changed. I mean, I'm not going to say it doesn't happen at all. Yeah, There'll be rare cases, but compared to what it used to be. 
Like, that doesn't exist. And I'm sorry, for young people to be saying to us that they're so oppressed, that that's ridiculous, you know, that they're oppressed, uh, that they're having a hard time. I think they've had it, they've got the easiest, in terms of so, social equality, they've got it the easiest. Now, if you want to talk about uh, poverty, that's something that's really, really important to talk about. And I, I, there's very few young people actually talking about that issue. The fact that our generation can never afford a house, that we're likely to, it's going to be harder for us to get jobs. The, the fact that we're struggling financially, most of us, um, you know, those kinds of very, very real issues, this hysterical left doesn't want to touch. Um, and they're the things that matter. The fact that homelessness is a ridiculous numbers. The fact that, you know, we're in the 60s and 70s, you, you'd probably see the odd person very, 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 very rarely that was on the streets. Homelessness wasn't like this before. We didn't have this level of homelessness. Um, so these issues are the things that they're not willing to touch. And it's because it's easier. You know, you talk about race, you talk about... Um, equality and everybody will just shake uh, they'll nod their heads on on the whole yes equality is a good thing yes um you know a fairer society is a a, a good thing and it's easy actually those conversations are very very easy start talking about economic equality um and class and the conversation becomes more complex and it becomes more challenging and the solutions are much much more challenging but you have to actually engage those things that you have in your brain which I, I actually I think a lot of young people don't have brain cells now. <laughs> which I, I, and I don't care if it comes across as offensive. I feel like um, young people are not using their minds anymore. They, they waste time on things that are unimportant mm. and don't talk and think about the things that are actually happening that are really, really vital to us right now. Um, and class cuts across race, sex, you know, sexuality, all of those things. So if you want to, if you're so desperate to talk about identity politics, then do it through the prism of class, but they don't have the courage to do that because it's a much harder battle. And the, the, the thing is, the people worst hit by inequality are very, very rarely talked about or two. You'll find that these hist the hysterical left um, of this country they're disgusted by poor people in this country. They're quite happy to talk about them, but not to them. That's weird. Yeah. Right? Um, do you think uh, that's similar with what you were saying earlier about uh, no longer like uh, experiencing as much racism? But do you think it's weird that on the counterbalance, race seems to be talked about a lot more now? I, I don't know if that's something you've noticed. Yeah, I, I have noticed it. So race and religion, they use it interchangeably and that drives me fucking potty as well. Yeah. The fact that you can choose your religion and it should remain a private affair um, and this the constant trying to mix the two in the hope that people are going to go, oh yes, Muslims are a race, so they shouldn't be challenged on their ideas of, you know, beating your wife or killing homosexuals. That, that is race, you still, still stuff you can challenge. Exactly, exactly, it's, oh yeah, right? It's quite nice. um, so, yes, uh, um, yeah, I find it exhausting, actually, whenever that, that discussion comes up. Um, 
And I don't think it's productive. I don't think it's achieved anything in the long run. For me, what's more important is talking about the issue of class and poverty and inequality. Um, but also, a lot of the time, it's the perpetrators that, that are given the most airtime. Now, going back to what we touched on earlier, the Sarah Champion issue. So um, the grooming gangs in Britain are... Um, so 2% of the overall population in Britain, just 2% is British Pakistani. Um, in the grooming gangs... Is that all, sorry. all uh, or is that like the male part, or is that all... That, that's the male part. So 4% in, a, in total, so half that is 2%. So 2% of the overall population is British male Pakistani. Um, so they're actually hugely overrepresented when it comes to the perpetrators of grooming gangs. And also something else that, that people have been doing is they've been mixing up child sexual exploitation and child sexual abuse. The difference is the abuse part is it's done, A, somebody by, by somebody that you know, and it's usually one perpetrator. The child sexual exploitation is like um, bringing, uh, like it, there's, there's more of a process involved and also there's more perpetrators involved. The girl is then shared sometimes sold between perpetrators and there's a lot it's it goes on for a lot lot longer um so they've they've mixed those two things up and they do that intentionally as well because then they can have the discussion about race and religion so the perpetrators have been exclusively um not exclusively sorry um the majority of the perpetrators have come from Pakistani or Bangladeshi Muslim backgrounds. More Pakistanis, because we have more Pakistanis in Britain. Is this um, saying about uh, culturally Pakistani or uh, that means they're overrepresented compared with other Islamic groups or is... So yeah. one saying that I used to hear when I was a kid quite often uh, said to the men in our community was, you can go out and do whatever you like. That means fuck whoever you like um, outside, but you're going to marry one of our girls, meaning that you're going to marry a brown girl and she's going to be Muslim and she's going to be Pakistani, but get it out of your system now. So that's effectively what they're doing because the families have given them that green light. Um, and also Islamically, there's this element of taking sex slaves. So that's effectively what they've done. They've taken sex slaves. Now, I've read countless accounts where the young girls, whilst they're being raped by their perpetrators, the perpetrators are calling them gafir cunts, so like non-believing cunts. Um, they've used those words uh, with them. Now, um, so 80, 80 to 90% of the perpetrators uh, are prosecuted in grooming gangs Pakistani or Bangladeshi Muslims, the remaining percent are other ethnicities. When you look at um, uh, child sexual abuse and other forms of paedophilia, the representation, the ethnic representation is exactly the same, uh, more or less, as the makeup of the country, the racial makeup of the country and the ethnic makeup of the country. So say, say as an example, if the country is 90% white, 90% of the perpetrators in um, uh, paedophilia cases will be um, uh, white, for example. Yeah. So to talk about that is really, really vital. It's just, it's a matter of fact. This isn't like anybody hyping up any hysteria. This is, re we really need to get to the bottom of this. 
really not for for anybody else just for the victims so we have the perpetrators and the the left that are you know the saviors of all brown people because they can't speak or uh, or do anything for themselves that feel the need to jump in whenever any discussion around any brown person comes up defending the ethnicity of the perpetrators then we have on the other side um, the likes of the EDL. The EDL, his, and before it used to be the BMP, now it's the EDL. I'm not, I think they were two different groups, but yeah. Yeah, no, no, they were two different groups, but who took this issue up? Yeah. The issue was taken up by the BMP. The BMP used to say, you know, they're coming and raping our daughters. Now the EDL have taken that issue up. I mean, the BMP are now considered a joke. Um, was... So now the EDL came along and took up that issue of their raping our daughters. Um, and actually, because we on the left haven't talked about this issue properly, by putting the, the victims at the centre of this, they left this massive chasm for the, the thugs from the EDL to come along and take up this, this, this issue. Now, the problem that we have, and I, I see exactly the same thing, by the way, when it comes to the issues of ex-Muslims and the issues of um, harmful traditional practices, so things like honour crimes, forced marriage, FGM, and all the kind of other harmful traditional practices, um, that quite often the victims end up falling through the cracks. So I used to work with victims of sexual violence. Yeah. And a lot of the women would say to me that I can't tell my husband, my partner, my boyfriend, my dad, my uncle, or whoever that, you know, that trusted male in their life was. I can't tell him about what's happened to me because they're going to get angry. Well, if they're and assaulted by someone else. Yes, yeah. So what that says to me is that they're at that point just thinking about, uh, like, she's gone through this and that's horrific. Right? Any kind of sexual violence is horrific. But then I have to then think about the male reaction in my household. And actually, that's what's end up, ended up happening. This male reaction is what we're seeing from the EDL. You know, this kind of blow up of um, uh, these men are doing this, da, 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 da. And then on the other side, we've got the protectors of the, per the perpetrators who are wanting to deflect and have a discussion about ethnicity, race and religion, etc., to protect the perpetrators. And we're still not having any conversation about how we're going to treat victims better. <laughs> that's it. That, as far as I can see, that's why the EDL happened, was because there was, like, radio yeah. silence around the, um, what's it called, the grooming gang situation. And yeah. is it, I think this is right, that the first person who sort of cottoned on to the story of the grooming gangs was put off about reporting it because yeah. the, it, the the BMP had um uh were using it as a talking point and they didn't want to get them elected but what they is what you've just got to do in that situation is have the most reasonable discussion about yes. the facts and yeah so yes and that's what we failed to do, actually. Mm. That's exactly what we failed to do. And that, that left a massive gaping hole. And that's happened with lots of things in our society, hence why we have, you know, parties like UKIP and Britain First that have shot to this position of authority very, very quickly because people are hearing them say the things that nobody else is saying. And 
And actually... You got a dog? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he gets animated whenever we talk about the BMP. He's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Except> like, bastards! <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, um, if, when you leave that massive hole... Because, actually, the left used to do these critical analyses mm. before. They used to do these structural analyses, why this is happening, how this is happening, how we can prevent these things from happening. You know, we used to have those discussions. The left is incapable of any kind of discussion now. Um, and they, they like playing victim whenever they're wrong. That's the other thing that drives me potty, you know? Like, um, if you disagree with them, they, they, they want to close their ears and they want to they want to go off and cry in a corner. I think, grow the fuck up. There's some really serious stuff happening and you have let people down in this country. The left, the left is collectively to blame for where we are in a country. And we are a very, very broken country right now. Um, and every single time, the people worst affected are the ones that are the one that are left behind and still carry on being the victims. You know, the grooming gangs haven't stopped. That's still happening right now. They're still going in and taking advantage of young girls. Nothing has changed. I had a friend that moved down from up north. I live in the West Country now. Yeah. I had a friend that moved down from up north because they saw her daughter and said, you know, she's she's looking ripe and ready. We'll come for her soon. Um, are they, they're that bold and brash what? now. Yeah, they're that bold and brash. The, pe the, the grooming gangs are that, that confident now that they can say whatever they want. Um, and they can do whatever they want and that, that no one's going to challenge them because now this issue, the moment you mention it, people associate you with some kind of far-right thug group and that's nothing, it, like the, the experiences of the victims have nothing to do with politics. Mm. It's just that they were abused and they have a right to demand safety yeah. for themselves their kids, like you know? It's so weird that this is seen, yeah. seen as like a partisan issue. Yeah, exactly. It, <laughs> it should be something we can um, all agree on. Exactly. And I tell you what, the other thing that pisses me off is that people don't realise. So um, with, with the grooming gangs, they went for uh, white working class girls in the first instance. But because so many people have sat back, they're starting to go after other girls. So middle-class families that are working their asses off and are busy at work, their kids are an open target now. With, uh, I mean, it's much, much fewer in numbers with the middle-class families because they, they're more likely to have the time to be present. They're less likely to have to work more jobs in order to be able to provide for their kids. So that's one thing. But then also, girls like me... Like, I wear miniskirts. I'm no longer a girl, but, like, when I was a girl, I remember being so close to being a victim. Um, so uh, one of my... Um, I went out with a Pakistani guy at school right. whose dad broke the relationship up to then start parking outside my house and calling me and asking me to come to him, saying that I want, I want you in my taxi, I want you in my bed, da 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 Thankfully... Two exactly two weeks after that started, we were due to move house, Ooh. so I managed to not end up in the same situation as the other girls. Yeah. And he, us, he has to say one sentence. That's it. I will tell your mum and dad what you've been up to. So that's 
things like you wore a skirt outside the house. I saw you. I'm gonna I'm gonna blackmail you, all the way to you know I saw you talking to somebody that your parents would find inappropriate. So this is crossed uh, racial uh, and class. Uh, lines now too because people sat back and said well this is just you know poor working class girls and you know a bunch of Muslim men that are doing this so we can just sit back and and not get involved um well now it's coming it's affecting everybody and like the same with some of the honor crime stuff that I used to talk about you know in 2010 we had Britain's first uh white honor killing the more we have relationships uh, across ethnicities, the more likely these things are to also affect your children. So it's important to, when you see something wrong in your society, to speak up. Because if you don't, if it's just affecting somebody else and you think it's not going to come and affect you, you're very wrong. It will come and affect you and it will affect your kids and your kids' kids. Um, so when we're, when we're trying to fight these these issues... It's not just about the the victims, but it goes beyond that as well. Yeah, that's that's mental that he was threatening you by saying, "Oh, I'm going to tell your parents you're wearing a short skirt." When wearing a, uh, so it's that's, debatable that's, whether that's appropriate, but like trying to get some young lady into your bed is far more inappropriate. Or is that just a cultural difference that I wouldn't understand? <laughs> No, 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 no. So, like, it, so uh, religiously, I'm not allowed to show my skin. Mm. Culturally, some, uh, uh, so like the Indian culture, they wouldn't really necessarily uh, find it. Actually, I was going to say that, but then I know that that's not also the case as well. So there is there is this whole issue of modesty culture, but it's just used as a way of blackmailing. Now, for a lot of us young people that are, um, you know, from a mixed uh, like we, you know, our parents settled here, and then when we were born here, second, third, fourth generation immigrants. For us, we see a different way of life uh, outside our house, and we want to, we want a slice of the pie. You know, we want to wear what we want to wear, we want to love who we want to love, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but because our families refuse to allow us to do that, what it, what it does is it opens us up to being very, very vulnerable. Um, so there was a case uh, a couple of years ago of a man who um, invited somebody from the same community, so they were both South Asian, invited a woman to his house and said, I'm having a party, why don't you come along, it'd be nice. She got there, there was no party. He raped her, told her to go and have a shower. While she was showering, he had actually videotaped the whole thing. She came out uh, and he played the video and he said, if you do not marry me, I'm going to show everybody this and you're you're going to be completely ruined in our society. So after a rape, bear this in mind that he had raped her, that he still had that power after having done that. Um, and the problem is that our community um, has put so much emphasis on, um, on our virginity, our chastity, our modesty, um, that even after she had been raped, she would still be panicking about her parents being shown this and her being blackmailed rather than her thinking, well, you show my parents this, they're going to drag your ass to the police station yeah. and make sure that you are prosecuted. So she married this guy. So that is the, that's the power that our parents have given our perpetrators.
they can say to to them so he didn't say about a short skirt to me actually what he said was i'm going to tell your parents that you were dating my son um so that was the leverage he was using and i and again like going out with someone is no criminal offense it, i didn't do anything wrong i had a boyfriend you know think about it in terms of normal society there's actually nothing wrong with that but he was then able to use that as as leverage to try and get me to his car so um thankfully uh, a we were moving house but b my aunt who used to live in the house next door i used to babysit for her she just had a baby and he was uh he was going to be too soon um so i used to have him in my arms every time he called i'd make sure i had the baby with me so i could just go and stand outside and say he's on his home on 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 his own at home alone i can't come out and he also knew that my grandparents lived next door so he couldn't come in so i was in a very lucky situation that i managed to escape that because that could have gone very very wrong for me um oh, it is isn't it and actually um, after the Oxford grooming gang stuff came out, as the penny dropped, Russ, I thought, fuck, he was probably one of them. Um, oh, and they wouldn't actually. have got everybody. Right? Fuck. Oh, God. Like, uh, like, I've had a lot of sleepless nights about it as well. And I don't, I, like, I was 15. I, I don't even know where he lives. Um, I just remember, I remember the boy's name that I dated. I don't know the dad's name, apart from that they would both have the same surname. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was quite, that was quite scary, really. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Shit. Yeah, it's very dark, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is bumming out, bumming me out somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> sorry that's right. no no um, um it's important to talk about anyway um uh what other questions yeah. i was gonna ask you uh, uh... like it's kind of tough because quite a lot of our work sort of overlaps with quite a lot of other stuff that's happening in society yeah and it's it, it gets quite hard sometimes actually because we can see that at the crux of it, had we been talking about this, you know, years ago and carried on talking about it, we wouldn't be where we are now. And the fact that we're having more censorship imposed on us constantly, um, it's 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 getting worse because of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, Censorship's never good. Um, that was yeah, that was the sort of one of the that was the aspect that was probably really surprising about the grooming gang case was the fact that all these government agencies and the media just like covered it up yeah for so long it's, yeah and i think what happens. we can do well th this is it right so this still happens by the way um like i still work with agencies that are scared off the moment somebody uh, mentions Islam or race. Instantly, they're scared off. They back off. And essentially, what we need... So is, is, is it using political correctness as like a shield or...? Uh, yeah, but all the power goes to one 
you know, group, and that's it. This is why it's important when you're fighting a battle for equality to ask for equality for everybody. And right now, there's one group that has priority. You know, the fact that we have a group of people being openly homophobic, openly, um, and the police haven't done anything, social care haven't done anything, um, you know, our MPs haven't done anything. I'm sorry. Like, if you if you don't want that, talk to your kids. Um, like, th- there's no conversation to be had, actually. Like, from my perspective, there's no conversation to be had. Um, like, it's, it's, it's a legal requirement for your kids to go to school, and you don't get to, you don't get to tell them to, to prioritise your religion there. Um, like, I, I've, I've got a kind of zero-tolerance policy on this kind of stuff and having worked in both domestic abuse and sexual violence I also know for a fact that um, young people experiencing sexual violence isn't rare in this country and the amount of times I was sat working with parents whose daughters had experienced some form of sexual abuse and and then they ask me, why aren't schools doing more about this? Why aren't they teaching about it? Because when we go, when we to try and talk about teaching this stuff at schools and catching it early and young, we we have parents that protest outside the school saying we don't want our kids being taught about sex and equality and you know love. Um, so it's it's difficult. The law, the the like our government needs to be a bit more heavy-handed about this. And interestingly, um, when we were at this discussion about um, about LGBT rights in Birmingham, this solidarity event, one of the protesters was there um, and he said, you know, if, if you carry on imposing this on, on our families, there is going to be a mass exodus of Pakistani Muslims from this country. And I thought, good. <laughs> Good, go, fuck off. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Because if you don't want, if if you if you're finding this education around equality and tolerance unacceptable, then uh, th- th- I mean that's a very basic thing that you're finding offensive. You when we when we start having bigger conversations about say a woman being able to have sex with whoever she wants before she gets married. Yeah. Um, out the or, like, you know, we're not gonna. It's not gonna happen. So I work with a woman who's fantastic, by the way. She does amazing work on the front lines in Pakistan. Oh, really? Ooh. She's fantastic. She works with like she works with dads to change their ideas around their daughters and challenges them on, you know, well, why does a girl have to go out with her head covered? Why can't she go out alone? And they, they, you know, they'll say things like, well, she might get raped. And she was like, okay, so you police women even more so because of that. Um, But her starting point is really hard every time because um, she said she can't mention the word equality. That even the word equality is considered controversial and threatening and she wouldn't get a foot in the door and that's like a normal word for us here yeah right that's crazy well uh uh how safe is she in pakistan to be honest i worry about her a lot (laughs) i worry about her a hell of a lot 
Um, so she's she's done some stuff here as well. Like, hence why I'm not mentioning her name, but yeah. could yeah. really, really put her at risk. But I also um, like she's so desperately needed out there because she she also is very calm, which I wouldn't be. I'd lose my rad very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she's very calm and patient, and she you know um, she knows what the boundaries are and what things that she can't mention. So she kind of you know, um, does it in a way where um, she has to slowly build that relationship and she has to start from a point of, um, you know, start from a point that we wouldn't even be able to think of because here, for us, equality just sounds like a completely normal thing. Whereas um, she can't mention, like, female empowerment out there. She can't mention female education out there because those things are considered controversial and she would be... They would con- they would view her as somebody who's being divisive and encouraging um, uh, encouraging women to think for themselves and prostitute prostituting themselves as a result of thinking for themselves. So it's very aggressive. Yeah, yeah, it's very anti-woman. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it seems it seems yeah. that women have to take massive precautions. Uh, to stop the behavior of men when it should be the individual looks after their own shit yeah exactly and you know why not rather than imposing all of this on women why not say to the men well if you can't rape then don't leave your house <laughs> if you can't not rape oh yeah that is what i meant to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, I get um, yeah yeah, 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 that's exactly what I meant. <laughs> yeah, so if you can't stop yourself, yeah. then just leave the house. If you can't, uh, you know, if you can't keep your hands to yourself, wear rubber and fucking gloves. If you can't, if you've got problems, go and get yourself castrated. Put it all all back on the men. Like we have a very very hypersexualized society in Pakistan as well. In some ways, the uh, the men, if you go out, so bear this in mind. I have lived in Pakistan. Um, How long was if that? You, so I was there for a year. Yeah. Okay. Um, so when I was out there, uh, I <laughs> I used to go out completely covered. And one day I went with my eyes uncovered, and uh, I came back home. And my aunt was furious because of the amount of attention that I got just for having my eyes uncovered. Um, so what, what were so you covering your eyes with before? I've, I've only so, ever, so, the most I've seen is like the the one where the eyes are out and then. Is it burqa or niqab? Which one is it? So it's a niqab. You get various forms of niqab. So you have a niqab that just covers your face and your eyes are uncovered. And then another niqab where there's like a thin uh, black fabric uh, that's um, it's like a sheer fabric so you can see through it that goes over your eyes even. Um, So so I did both. So yeah, usually I used to wear that and one day I, I, you know, I didn't, cover my eyes yeah. and yeah. we we went out to get food and stuff and um yeah there was the, because of the male attention that i was getting my aunt was furious so um <laughs> there's a lot of pressure on women to take responsibility for men that not being able to control themselves had i gone out and i had wore uh, worn jeans and a shirt i would have been full-on attacked um they would have just thought well she's 
mine for the taking. Um, so that's the kind of idea that exists, but you really have to challenge that in Pakistan. And this year's, um, we had something called an Arad March, which is uh, like, um, it's the Urdu version of uh, the Women's March. Uh, Arad means woman. And this year, they really, really challenged the men. So we, we're always told to like sit properly and uh, you know how to behave and how to cook for our husbands and uh, and all of that kind of stuff. So their banners and placards this year really challenged that narrative. There was one woman with her legs, you know, wide open on her placard saying, "Look, I'm I'm sat properly now." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and one woman saying, you know, like, cook it yourself on her placard, uh, cook your meals yourself, there's a microwave there. Um, so they were really, really challenging the men, but the backlash that they got for doing that was immense. Mm. They were prostitutes, they were, you know, um, they were they were accused of um, uh, like polluting the younger girls by, with these ideas of empowerment and equality. But it really hit a raw nerve, and that's that's what it takes to force change in our countries. Um, and it did here too, you know. What you have to bear in mind is, in this country, when when suffragettes were asking for uh, the vote, they were considered terrorists. Were they? Oh, blimey! Didn't realise that. Yeah, they were treated as such. Um, so I feel like we're the kind of we're the equivalent of that now, where we're asking for equality and where we're asking not just for women's equality in our country, but also the equality of non-believers and atheists around the world. Uh, you know, we, we get attacked a lot for what we do, um, but it, we're kind of, it, hopefully in the, in the long run, it'll be worth it. I'm, I doubt I'll see the change in my life. Uh, I hope I do, but I doubt I will. This almost seems like a steeper hill to climb because of the totalitarian nature of the governments in the certain Islamic yeah. countries. But, yeah, I don't know. And actually what hasn't helped in, in Britain has been that uh, we have people come to Britain um, and rather than saying to them, right, you're here now, great, happy to have you here, but you have to, you, you have to follow our laws. Rather than doing that, we've kind of allowed... Um, them to completely segregate, but also beyond that, we've also allowed them separate legal systems, separate schools, separate institutions. That's been very, very divisive, you know. Um, that should never have been allowed to happen uh, because when people come to a country or go to a country, as they, um, you become a part of that country. You're, you're one, you know, united country. That's what, what should happen. Um, and we, because we haven't, haven't ever done that, um, we've kept them locked in a certain mind frame, the, you know, what, what they might have, what they may have had when they were back home. Um, for a lot of second, third, fourth generation immigrants, what you'll hear from them is that their parents and their families or whoever come over to this country and they mentally they're stuck in say so like for example my grandparents came over in the 60s mentally they're stuck in pakistan in the 60s so even pakistan has moved uh it, it wasn't 
moving forward at one point I feel like right now it's gone backwards um but uh right now my grandparents they they still think they're in 60s Pakistan even though they're you know in Oxford um so uh that's that's partly our fault we didn't challenge that we didn't you know stand up and say you you you're here we're all one society we have one legal system we all have one education system you know and we all use the same system and we're all exactly the same uh we had different uh we have different behaviors towards different people and that's been very very divisive and if we go to say saudi or pakistan they they wouldn't be that forgiving of us they wouldn't say to us you know um okay you don't want to wear the niqab you don't have to in saudi uh, after the age of 11 you have to wear the niqab no discussion um it's crazy is it these are quite hot countries as well how, how did you deal with the heat when you were wearing the everything uh so when i was in saudi it was very very hard i used to just uh i wasn't supposed to but i never wore anything underneath oh. but it's just even even like um breathing hot air into your face all day that's horrible as well um So yeah that was really hard. I passed out in Pakistan uh, and I was really sick the whole time in Pakistan. Um so yeah it's it's very uncomfortable but I see that here now as well and I'm infuriated because this isn't just happening with adult women they're doing it to children. They're also doing it to toddlers. Last year I was driving um you know the summer of last year was just immensely hot yeah. you know in the th- it was so ridiculously hot and i remember walking around wearing virtually nothing because i couldn't breathe even like half naked i was struggling yeah. and i remember seeing a mum walk past and she had a toddler and a pushchair and she had she had everything on uh like she had a hijab thankfully she hadn't covered her face she had a hijab on she had a robe on but what made me really angry at this point was that um so because she was in a in a, in a pram her um the top robe had pulled up a little bit but she had clothes on underneath too this child oh, um yeah exactly double layers in the boiling hot sun exactly yeah. exactly um you know um the the whole obsession around uh sex and and um and rapiness in our communities is insane salman rushdie was interviewed once and he was talking about how somebody had asked like a um like a mufti type an imam type person if she could wear jeans underneath her robe her rabaya and uh <laughs> the imam said to her look if you wear jeans underneath your your rabaya the friction from your thighs rubbing together will cause such sexual uh tension that the men around you will not be able to help themselves <laughs> right it's insane <laughs> yeah uh, oh yeah i think I, yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's worth watching that video it's very yeah, funny i'm trying to think if that was the one i've heard or is a different one yeah either it was that one or something equally as ridiculous i was i just remember being like what what <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they even come up with this it's unbelievable i don't it's mental isn't it and you'd think like um that we would have moved past stuff like this by now sadly we haven't and i think 
where we have people that are kind of constantly battling against us when we want to have discussions around empowerment and equality within our communities. And the most conservative amongst us are often given the biggest platform, you know, um, and this is something our politicians have most certainly done. Um, they tend to have, you know, a couple of representatives from our community because obviously they don't want to speak to everybody from our community. They think that these crazy conservative fundamentalists are the ones that represent us all. Um, and obviously it's better to talk to one, you know, brown person than shitloads of them because they don't want to taint themselves that much. They don't want to get too confused uh, with the diverse opinions. Exactly, exactly. But it's like me saying, and it's like when I say it out loud, it sounds fucking ridiculous. It's like me saying that all white people are exactly the same. Um, and you know, like every time I've done that, people have been like, well, you, you sound like a twat. Well, <laughs> exactly. Thank you very much. That's what I'm saying to you. You sound like twats when you think that that person represents every single one of us. He represents just himself. Nobody in this country thinks that our, um, our prime minister re represents everyone in the country. To say that even would be ridiculous, and they do exactly the same thing. But I don't think our politicians are, not that I'm making any excuses for them, because I don't care about any of them. Um, I don't think they understand what normal life is. <laughs> um, I don't think they understand what diversity actually truly means. If they've been churned out of the same school and they've all had this same education, it's effectively like this robotic machine of tards and turds that have been expressed from Eton that are, you know, getting into Parliament and and, and they don't even they don't even understand there is some difference down here. So, yeah, just trying to figure out like how other people think and then but assuming everyone else thinks everyone else in some yeah. groups thinks that yeah it's, what, what would be useful is if we had, you know, political representation from down here, All right. <laughs> where we are, not from their ivory towers, because they don't actually, they don't live in the same world as us. Um, you know, and I, I, I'm not just talking about, like, brown people or just females. What I mean is, like, poor people. If we had, like, normal working-class poor people who were actually in Parliament speaking about our issues um, from a position of experience, I think we would be in a completely different place. And actually, the people that we speak to on the grounds get a lot of the things that we've talked about today, Russ. Talk to, like, those those London posh folk, and they don't quite get it. Yeah. They're, like, very woke. Very woke. Uh, what that means. Oh, I hate the term woke. <laughs> <laughs> me too <laughs> uh, but like um, I've got a friend who says that he started hating words yeah now. that's what I was going to bring up was that the left is spending a lot of time just ruining words for me like space yeah. is an amazing like space is an amazing place and all the mysteries of space and stuff and then they use the term safe space and uh, oh. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, exactly. Said in like so a whiny yeah. voice, like, oh, don't come in my space. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And these, this is just going back to the same stuff, isn't it? Like these kids have never had, they've never known what it is to be in a dangerous space. Mm. Uh, and they, they need a fucking safe space. space. It's ridiculous. I went to go and give a talk at Goldsmiths University um, a couple of years ago. Um, and they showed a safe space video before we <laughs> before we started talking. 
and <laughs> and the, like where they can go to for a fucking cuddle if they need to. And I just thought these kids are adults. Mm. Right, these kids are adults. That makes no sense at all. <laughs> these people are adults, right? But I, what I think universities have created is this uh, a crash for anybody who's over the age of eighteen. They're not schools anymore. Uh, they're not universities anymore. They're not places where you can be challenged or or challenged for that matter. Um, you know, like um, there was a discussion around whether they should be allowing pro life discussions at university fuck yes every discussion should be happening at university even if you don't like it yeah. even if it upsets you who gives a fuck and do you know what if you're upset i tell you what will happen ross Nothing. you'll get over yeah. it <laughs> it, is, it seems the softening down of a generation um yeah. like i never uh, thought of myself as particularly manly until recently yeah. and everyone else has just been fucking pussies and <laughs> 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 it's really yeah, odd it's... yeah uh oh i wish uh uh i have so much more to ask you so maybe i'll have to get you on a different time because i quite need a piss yeah. but um what uh uh if anyone is interested in uh getting help for leaving islam uh how how do they get in contact with you so there's two things i have uh in terms of anybody who needs help into uh if they've left islam and they're experiencing any issue or even if they're like confused because in our community we're not allowed to ask any questions so we sometimes have muslims that come to us and say do you know what i just want someone to talk to i've got questions and if i ask these questions i'm going to get killed or i'm going to get attacked or i'm going to get beaten etc etc so if you're in either of those situations um visit our website it's the council of ex-muslims of britain uh, on the website, you will find a uh, an email address. Uh, there's a contact number, um, and there's various ways to get in touch. You can get in touch via Facebook, although I'm notoriously bad at getting back back to people on Facebook because it's so fucking slow. Um, you can get in touch with us via Twitter, and you can get in touch with uh, me on my personal Twitter. I'm pretty quick at response, responding on my personal Twitter. Um, but also, I, I do a lot of women's work, so if you need any help around that, if uh, there's no issue around um, uh, you leaving Islam, but you need help with you know, any women's issues, you're in a, in a bad relationship or things aren't going quite right with family and you need to talk about that kind of stuff um again you can get in touch with me via my twitter or uh my email address via the council of ex-muslims of britain website um uh, yeah so there's there's lots of ways of of getting in touch and even if you just want to have a natter <laughs> um sometimes i do that i don't mind um we also have um a, an urdu podcast and we're going to be doing like an english podcast as well um so it'd be really nice if anybody wants to come on and share their experience we kind of like trying to carve a bit of space for people to, just to talk about stuff that they're going through um and to give them a bit of an outlet ah that's a great idea i look forward to hearing that when's that starting so uh, the Urdu podcast started uh, uh, last week, um, and the English one will be starting like in the next few weeks. I'm currently in the process of um, moving house, so uh, everything's going to pause for a little while again. <laughs> well, that's going to be fun, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> Got, like, scrubbing the walls. <laughs> oh, I don't. <laughs> 
going to be horrible. I'm cleaning out the fridge. I haven't cleaned it up the whole year. Oh, no. <laughs> There's an old potato that you got when you first moved in. <laughs> oh, exactly. exactly. I know I've got some rotten fruit in the yeah. corner somewhere. So. <laughs> That's the game. What, what did this used to be? <laughs> it's all yeah, black exactly. and slimy now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. Brilliant. Uh, anyway, it's great to talk uh, to you, man. Um, uh, yeah, let's do this again. Yeah, that would be really cool. Thank you so much, Boss. No so take care, my love. Cheers. Take care. D-R-E-V-E-N-A. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode and thank you to Zadia for joining me. Much love to you all.